Well, good morning and welcome to Rest and Bible Church. My name is Jim Sepp and I'm one of our pastors here. We're so glad to have you with us today. We are in week four of a nine-part series entitled All Things New, Living as a Child of God. We have this new life and we're going to seek to live it out. In the first week, Pastor Mike, he spoke about our identity in Christ. We struggle with finding our identity in a lot of different things. We need to find it in Christ, and how do we go about doing that? Week two, we talked about, uh, Pastor Mike talked about living under a new authority with a new purpose uh, in this new identity that we have. And then last week, we kind of kicked off a paradigm about what it means to live out, uh, to know Christ and to make him known, right? That's kind of our focus in this new life, our new identity, to know Christ and to make him known. And uh, we said, in order to do that, there's really kind of four things, four kind of hooks to hang our life on, if you will. The first one, and we have our banner, our new banners, they're awesome. Our first one is that we want to gather in uh, biblical community. We want to grow in our walk with Christ. We want to give back to the body of Christ in our time, our talents, and our treasure. And then we want to go. We want to go out into the world uh, with the message of Jesus Christ. And so last week and this week, we've been talking about the gather. With all things being new, this new life in Christ, living as a child of God, there are some things we need to consider when it comes to gathering. We we said there were four of them. We covered one of them primarily last week, which is the theology behind gathering. And we walked through from creation on through the New Testament in terms of what God had to say about gathering uh, theologically. We talked a little bit about the mandate. We're going to unpack that a little bit more today. And then today we're going to talk primarily about the hindrances to gathering and some of the solutions to gathering. And I thought, you know, what kind of guy preaches on gathering in the world in which we currently live with COVID, right? I mean, it's like, okay, uh, why did I set myself up for that? Uh, but anyway, so we're, we're going to do it because we need to do it because uh, when the Bible tells us we need to consider some things, well, whatever is happening in our culture, we have to figure out how we're going to do what God says for us to do. Last week, we focused again primarily on the theology behind gathering, And we said that Christ-likeness occurs in community. That's why we should gather. That we belong, each of us, in the body of Christ. That's why we should gather. That God decides where each of us fits. That's why we gather. And then God uses all in the body of Christ. Every single one of us has a place. And let me just start out today by saying this. Every single one of you, whether you're sitting in this room, whether you're with us online, wherever you are today, You are a critical player in the body of Christ. You're a critical player in the body of Christ. And in spite of the fact that we live in a world that tells us that we're the center of the universe and kind of like our me-centered world, at the same time, kind of uh, paradoxically, we often don't see the critical role that we actually do play. And I wish that we could all kind of have a video version of, of, you know, George Bailey, It's a Wonderful Life for our own life. I wish that somehow we could each get a picture of what life would be like and what the body of Christ would be like without us in it. Because most of us don't see the parts that we play. But they're there. And we each play a critical part. Today, our task in front of us, one of you, review very briefly the mandate and then go into our 
hindrances and our, some of our solutions to consider. Back to the mandate. We said at the top of the hour, we're memorizing this verse, and many of you have already memorized it. It's a verse that I memorized as a brand new believer 42 years ago. And it's, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This, this, it's critical that we gather. It's important because as the time moves forward to the time of Christ, we are essential together. Earlier in the book of Hebrews in chapter, th- I'm sorry, I want to pack, unpack this a little bit. The Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 comes in a context. Let me, let me start there. Going back to verse 19 of this same passage, it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and li- living way opened up through the curtain that is his body, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. You see, we were meant to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess with others who are holding unswervingly to the hope they profess. And part of our capacity to hold unswervingly is that we're in a community of people who are seeking to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess together. The phrase, not giving up meeting together, the word meeting together there finds its linguistic connection to the root word for synagogue. And if you know anything about Jewish history, every small town that's spotted throughout the landscape was centered around a synagogue in ancient times in Israel. It needed 10 men in order to be able to launch a synagogue, and every small town had one. Some were lovely structures, other were just humble gathering places. And so he says, don't give up meeting together. In the first century mind, they're thinking about this critical community connection of being together. Earlier in Hebrews, it says this in chapter 3. It says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's two interesting things here. First, he says this, the way he puts it, you know, as long as it is called today. Because what happens is every day I wake up and I go, hey, it's today. We need to encourage each other. And then you know, tomorrow, we're going to wake up and we go, hey, it's today again. We now need to encourage each other. And our writer is saying, every day, be people of encouragement. But there's this other interesting part. It says, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The implication is that as we encourage each other daily, we help each other to prevent the hardness of heart. And how does that happen? Isolation, from my perspective, is a significant factor in the development of a hardened heart and the deception of sin. When we are left to our own devices, when we are left to our own thinking and our minds spin in directions perhaps that they ought not to and we kind of get on this spin cycle. Biblical community, the gathering of the people of God together in its variety of forms 
in the Bible is not optional. It's not optional. Many of us have grown accustomed to isolation. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, but a good many of us in this room or online today, at one point in your career, you had to go to the office. We always go to the office. Working from home is not an option. And how many of those companies, now everyone's working from home. We, we actually can do it from home, now can't we? But what's been lost in the process? Do you remember the days when companies used to have like team building activities? Like you used to like go do something together? Where's that gone? You know, my wife worked as a part-time background investigator for a government contractor doing backgrounds. Um, if some of your cases came up on her list, she would kind of defer that to someone else. I know that person. I can't do their background. And she was 100% virtual. Which sounds really great for someone who's an introvert like she is. Until suddenly you have a question and you, you want to know what other investigators might do under this circumstance and so forth and so on. And suddenly you realize there is no team. There's no we in this. And some of us to our own detriment have grown very accustomed to what God says is essential for us in our development and growth, which is gathering in community. Now, the first thing we want to understand as we consider this topic is, for today, is the hindrances to gathering. What are some of the hindrances that you and I face related to this whole topic? And number one is we face a hindrance in our cultural perception of community. What I mean by that, let me say this again. Some of you are going to be like, oh no, there he goes again. He's saying it again. You know, I, 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 I will always tell you that we need to study two things at the same time. It's the Bible and culture. And if we only ever study the Bible, that's great. But because we bathe in culture all day long without even knowing it, if we don't study culture, we are going to see the Bible through our cultural lens without knowing it. But when we study the Bible and we study the culture, we are better able to see the culture through our Bible lens. Are you with me? Okay. That also means studying the Bible's culture. What did the people in the first century, when they read these passages about being together, about doing life together, what did, it, what did they think? We need to understand that as we consider, well, what, what, what ought we to think? So I want to dive into a little bit of a biblical understanding of what life was like for the people reading these passages. You know, Jesus grew up in a small town called Nazareth. It was uh, to the west of the Sea of Galilee. And I have a good friend who happens to be a docent, which is a fancy word for tour guide at the Bible Museum, who volunteers in the Nazareth setup down there. They have this whole kind of village. And what he tells me is that scholars tell us that in the time of Jesus, there were about 200 people in the town of Nazareth. Which means that it's like about all y'all right here. Like you were the town. Every day. You, just you. People didn't travel much. 
It was challenging. Remember, they didn't have motorized travel. They had a synagogue in the middle of town. They had a well in the middle of town. Rush hour was getting water first thing in the morning. That was their rush hour. Jesus, when he started his ministry, he went to a town right there on the north side of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. And if you go to Capernaum today, you can see the ruins of a synagogue. It's actually a fourth century synagogue that sits on top of the first century synagogue there. It's a fascinating village of Capernaum. Capernaum was massive by the standard of the day. It had 1,500 people in it. 1,500 You know, my wife and I, our family, we lived in Leesburg for about 15 years. We lived in a small development on a property that once was this enormous farm. And right there on Evergreen Mill Road at the bend before you hit 15, uh, there was a development that had kind of two ways in and two ways out. You only went there if you had business there. There, It wasn't a cut through for anything. And there were about, I don't know, maybe 300 homes times about roughly four people, about 1,200 people in our little development. You know, in the first century... That would have been my community. But for 15 years, I left that community every day to do life. I left that community to go to church, to to go to work. I left that community to go to the grocery store. I left that community to do virtually everything that I do, except rest at night. And the way it works in our communities today is people drive down the street, they maybe they wave, they hit their garage door opener, they pull in, they hit the garage door opener, it goes down, and I have just interacted with my neighbor about as much as I'm going to interact with my neighbor that week, perhaps. And in the first century, they did everything together. They did business together. Joseph's father was a carpenter, and someone else is a farmer, and someone else had livestock, and all of these relationships, our community, were interconnected. When Jesus, in John chapter 4, went through Samaria and he, went to, and he ran into the woman at the well, it's very interesting. It says it was, Jesus arrived at Jacob's well around the sixth hour. And most of us just kind of breeze right over that. that we don't know what this, what does that mean exactly? It's like first century Bible time. I'm not really sure. But it doesn't sound very important. Oh, it's very, very important because the sixth hour is noon. Who goes to the well in the heat of the day at noon? No one. That's why the Samaritan woman was there. Because she knew she wouldn't run into anybody, or at least she thought she wouldn't. Because rush hour was several hours before that when everybody gathered to get water to cook and to, feed, and to, to water their animals and so forth and so on. She understood as a woman with a difficult life that what the rhythm of the village was going to be like. In Acts chapter 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This was Jerusalem. This was the booming metropolis of the day, this enormous town. And yet even there, they spent time together every day. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, we had, we're having a conversation and several of our staff were referencing this reality that on our streets it's so difficult to get to know our neighbors because of this garage door opener kind of phenomena, you know, where people just pop it open and pop in and, and the door goes down. 
We have a difficult time relating to our neighbors, but in a different time of history, they would have been all the people that we related to every day. I don't know if you're aware, you probably are, just if you're moving around here, you know that we have a very vibrant uh, Indian community here from India. We have a lot of Indian families. And several weeks ago, a couple months ago actually, one of the the guys in the community said, you know, we have a a small group. Some of us have been meeting together on a regular basis uh, for a small group. And we want to become an official shepherd group of Rest and Bible Church. I'm like, great. So they had me over for dinner and we talked about what that meant and so forth and so on as we were kind of finalizing all that detail. So there's a certain number of structures to help us kind of stay organized and this and that. And I have these forms that say when you meet and where you meet and so forth and so on. And I said, well, when are you going to meet? And he said, well, we, we try to meet twice a week. And I'm like, what? Like most of our groups meet every week. And then there's some groups, and, and my group did this for years, met every other week just because of the craziness of life. And I realized that, that everybody in this group is, they're immigrants. Every single one of them is from India. They, they came here. They're raising their children here. And I thought to myself, they just haven't really integrated into Northern Virginia yet. I mean, they just don't understand that they're supposed to exhaust themselves with more activities and they're allowed to let their kids play two sports at the same time and and travel all over God's green earth to divide one another like the rest of us here. And I thought, Lord, I hope they never learn. I hope they never learn. Because in their culture, they learn something about community that the rest of us here are struggling with. To stay connected. You know, when Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, you know, everything in that passage is plural. They oriented prayer toward the we. When you pray, Y'all pray. When you pray together. The first century church was oriented toward the we. And we are oriented toward the me. When I think of prayer, I think of my prayer time. When they think of prayer, they thought of our prayer time. Because they spent so much time together. We have so many challenges And part of it is our perception of community. And unless we study the Bible and their perception of community, we will struggle to move ourselves in the direction. The second element in the hindrances to community, first is our cultural perception of community. Second is our cultural lifestyle expectations. We have some expectations of ourselves and what life is supposed to be like that get in our way of being able to really, really be together. The first is our work environment expectations, which have radically changed over the last couple of years. More and more of you work from home today and you've grown accustomed to that. You're accustomed to not being on a team to your detriment, to the detriment of all of us. Secondly, we have a lot of leisure expectations that have it related to how we expect our lives to unfold that make it very, very challenging for us. And I'm just going to pick one. And some of you heard me talk about this before, but, but one of my f- greatest frustrations as a parent 
in navigating community has been sports. It's been sports. When I was a kid, we all played kind of like three seasons. So it was football, basketball, baseball. Just, and we played with the same kids against the same kids from the next town over. And we all knew each other. Oh, we're going to beat Warrington this week because Joey's on that team. Today, there is a phenomena that is taking over the world of family life. I didn't know what was about to hit us when my daughter in middle school said, Dad, I want to play volleyball. It was great. I love volleyball. I could watch volleyball all day long. And I often did that. I often did that. But instead of like it used to be where you, you, you get good and you beat all the kids in your local community and then if you're good enough, you go to states and then if you're good enough, then you go to nationals. Now everybody goes to nationals every other weekend at great expense somewhere else. Do you see what I'm saying? One of the greatest volleyball tournaments on the East Coast is called the NEQ, the Northeast Qualifier. It's in Philadelphia. And the younger kids, they play volleyball on Palm Sunday, and the older kids play volleyball on Easter Sunday every year. And I am so glad that Natalie pulled out of volleyball before she got to the upper classes so that I didn't have to figure out what I was going to do as a parent for Easter Sunday in a volleyball tournament. Now, I'm not telling you that your kids shouldn't play travel sports. I'm not telling you that. What I am telling you is that you have some decisions to make about how you manage a variety of leisure activities, including your children's sports and the impact that it's going to have on your capacity to be part of, the com- of a community. And I'm not talking about just a sports community that travels the globe. I loved every minute of volleyball, but there was a price to pay. And for many families, it's an enormous price from a variety of perspectives, including financial. And can I just say, and I, and I, really, I'm, I really hate to burst any bubbles here, but statistically, your child is not getting a college scholarship for their sport. I'm, I'm sorry. It could happen. It might happen. But by the time they get to college, when it comes to the travel sport you just paid as much as college by the time you got there. And I'm serious. So make your choices wisely because it will impact the capacity that you have to live in community on the journey ahead. Did I love it? I did. Do we pay a price? Yes, we did. The third element of a culture of lifestyle expectations is the, radic- the, the, the radical changes that have occurred in our, di- in our communities broadly in, in terms of being disconnected. We live in a disconnected world. We live in a disconnected world. You know, I, I don't know if you live in a community where there's sidewalks and people walk their dogs. You know, we, when we moved from Leesburg to Sterling, uh, we actually, I just started walking my dog. I, I, in Leesburg, we just kind of let her out the backyard, and, and now I, I actually really enjoy it. And I like running into other dog people on the path. Dog people are cool. No offense to you cat people, but dog people are, are, are generally pretty cool. But you know, when I'm walking down the sidewalk, and there's someone walking the other way without a dog, no eye contact, and I, and I love this, right? I love kind of 
playing, you know, kind of trying to get in their way. I'm like, we're going to interact if it's the last thing I do today. (laughs) And then when I say hi to them, it's like, you know, like I just, like I broke into through this, what they perceive to be an impervious barrier. And more often than not, they're actually glad that I did. I I don't find that most people are rude. Some people are. But we're just used to living in this insular world where we move around with, we're inside of a bubble. And you know what's made it even harder? And again, I'm going to say something, and I'm not opposed to this at all, but we live in a multicultural area, and I love that. But more and more, when people come from other countries, they generally stay very connected to people who are just like them and feel a sense of, I don't know what it is, anxiety or to, to, about connecting with people who are different than they are. Go into the Sterling Costco on Saturday afternoon and just look for somebody who looks like you. I don't care what race you are. Look for somebody who looks just like you and it's going to be tough because it is so diverse. And that diversity brings a level of disconnectedness that means that we need to be that much more purposeful in the world around us. One of the elements of disconnectedness in our world today, and I won't jump up and down on this for long because it really upsets me, but it's the whole issue of social media. It's the whole issue of social media. Do you know that in every demographic group, depression, anxiety, and suicidality has gone up since the emergence of social media? Every single demographic. Among teenage, young teenage girls, it has quadrupled. Suicide has quadrupled among teenage, young teenage girls since the emergence of social media. And I don't know about you, but when you're sitting around as a family and you got, can you stop texting someone who's not in the room and please pay attention to those who are in the room? I'm in the room. Talk to me. And we have this semblance of pseudo-community that is a pathetic alternative to real community. To real community. We live in a disconnected world and these lifestyle expectations that we've developed that we stay in touch with all our friends, all our people like, I'm not on Facebook, okay? I have some social media, but Facebook isn't one of them. And people say, oh, but you can connect with all sorts of people from your history, and I'm like, I'm having a hard enough time connecting with the people from my present, let alone the people from my past. So when it comes to hindrances, we have some cult- our cultural perception of community. What we believe community is, over against first century community, we have some challenges there. Number two, we have some cultural lifestyle expectations, some realities about the way we are expected or we expect ourselves to live that get in the way of our capacity to live an Acts 2 sort of life. Number three, our third hindrance is, I'm just going to put it out there, COVID-19. I mean, we, it is the elephant in the room. It, is, it, it takes up... Every, it's, nothing has impacted the world and community like COVID-19. And part of the challenge is that we have all of our statistical realities, but then there are enough anomalies that f- kind of freak us out depending on where we are in all of this. You know, my wife's grandmother is 96 years old. She has every health complication you can imagine. And she got COVID twice. And she lived 
breaking all of the expectations about how this works. But then each of us have heard or know someone who's like a 40-year-old 40, 40 healthy man with three young children who gets COVID and he dies. And although statistically well outside the norm, we only need one of those to kind of go, uh, what does this mean? My brother Jack, you remember the story, his 34-year-old son John was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident in May. And my brother went out to uh, Spokane where John lived while he was in a coma. And while all of this was unfolding, my brother Jack was found to be COVID positive. He had no symptoms but he was COVID positive and he was not able to be with his son when he passed away. And I'm like, roll the kid outside in his bed. I mean, I'm serious. Do something because these connections are so critical. Human connection is so important. My mother is 83 years old. She lives in a retirement community similar to Ashby Ponds here in Ashburn. And she's had COVID. She's doing well. And there's a little bit of a rebellion going on among the older folks in this retirement community. They're basically, you know, they're, and, and my mom's like, she's like, I would rather die in community than live in isolation. I am not finishing out the rest of my life like this. I am ready to see Jesus whenever he is ready to receive me. Now, again, I'm not telling everybody they have to take that position. But she got to the point where she's like, you know what? I need people. And if the Lord calls me home, so be it. So be it. Now, many people aren't there. And I get that, and I'm fine. Everybody has to make their decision about where they land and at what point they're willing to do what. But my challenge today is that community is not an option. And when life throws challenges at us, we have to figure it out. Isolation is not an option. Fourth and finally, We have our cultural perceptions of community. We have our cultural lifestyle expectations. We have radical issues like COVID-19. And fourth and finally, this one kind of goes throughout the history of the church. Some of us are in isolation and struggle with building connections because of woundedness in the church. Because of woundedness in the church. Many people have lived through difficulty in the church that says, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing connection. There are people who I know who have been in a shepherd group and it didn't go well. And they're like, I am never going to be in a shepherd group ever again. To their own detriment. And the more our culture evolves, the the way things are, as as I kind of assess culture, what what I'm seeing is that more and more of us, and the younger we are, have become increasingly conflict avoidant. And our culture allows us to be that. If I have a problem here at RBC and I don't like the way things have gone or I have a con- what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pop up at a church somewhere else down the road until I have a problem that I can't solve there and then I'm going to pop up at a, a different church. Paradoxically, at the same time, people's interactions on social media have become more and more harsh. 
So rather than being able to sit face to face with someone and solve a problem and talk it out and tell us that, we, that they've been hurt or whatever it happens to be, we avoid all that and then periodically blast somebody on social media. This is not biblical community. This is not biblical community. In the first century in the town of Nazareth, when there are 200 people in my town, and I had a conflict with someone there, I worked it out. What was I going to do? Pack up my donkey and move to another town? That they didn't do that. It didn't work that way. You can't just up and move. I have to handle things biblically and address those challenges head on. You know, I have been wounded very severely in the church, not this church, but in church. I've been a follower of Jesus for 42 years. And I've been a pastor for almost 25. And there was a time when I wanted to walk away from ministry. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. It hurts. It's hard. I work like a dog and I lay my life down for people. And then sometimes you get kicked in the gut. And it's a, it's a price to be paid. And some of you, being in ministry or not, have experienced the woundedness of what it is to be part of the body. And we expect that it won't be that way. We expect those who perhaps don't know Jesus, who, who are difficult people to, to hurt us or wound us, and we're okay. And then when it happens in the church, we're like, what? I did not see that coming. But if you look throughout the New Testament, you look at virtually every letter that Paul wrote, there were a lot of problems in the church in the first century. There's a lot of challenges that they faced that they had to work out and it's been the same ever since. And giving up on community is not the solution to pain in the church. Finding healthy community, maybe being cautious, I understand that. But I'm really glad I didn't walk away from the ministry when I really, really wanted to. God's at work. God redeems. And I'm glad he does. Four hindrances to community and gathering is our cultural perspective of community, our cultural lifestyle, expectations, the challenges that we face like COVID-19 and wounds in the church. And we could go on. There's many others. But I want to take a couple minutes as we wrap up today to talk about how we can uh, take a couple steps forward how we can possibly find some solutions. What's the foundation for that and then what can we practically do? And I will tell you that my primary goal today is not to give you a prescription on how to connect and rest in a Bible church or any other church for that matter. It's to help raise the reality, the awareness of the need that every one of us has to be connected in the body of Christ for your own good and for the good of the body. You know, when you don't connect in the body, when any one of us decides to pull out and be in isolation, we leave a gap. There's someone who is less well off in their journey in Christ because you're not in their life. The first element of of finding a solution, thinking through solutions, is number one, to simply embrace the need to engage. You need to come to a point of commitment, we each do, that says, 
yes, this is a command in scripture, and I need to do it. I need to be connected. Matthew 18, 20. It's a fascinating passage. It's often ripped right out of its context. We're not going to do that today. It says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. It doesn't mean that when I'm by myself, God's not there. What it simply means is that when something happens when we come together, in a variety of contexts, whatever that might be, when we gather together, even in just a few, God shows up. And the context of this passage, of course, is Matthew 18, the classic passage about solving problems. If your brother offends you, has sinned against you, go to them and try to work it out. And if, if it doesn't work out, then, then bring in another voice. Have a greater context. And then if that doesn't work, then bring it into a larger context in the church. Because where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. I do something. I show up in a way that is unique when we come together. And my question to you today, before we can find any practical solutions, is do you fundamentally agree that being together and engaging in community is critical? I want to speak to those that are kind of watching or watching online today. I know that many of you are struggling with this idea at all because you have perhaps significant health challenges or whatever it might be. And I, I understand that connecting in that environment when you feel like you can't engage is challenging. And I have a couple thoughts in a couple minutes. But I also want to address those for whom watching online has become entirely convenient. You go out to restaurants and maybe go to a ball game, but you know it's easier just to wake up on Sunday morning and you know, stay in your jammies and grab a cup of coffee and, and just watch online. And I just want to challenge you that that I think God has more for you than that today. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The greatest law that Jesus laid down was love God and love each other. And one of the ways we do that the best is when we bear each other's burdens and we can only do that when we gather, when we're connected So first, it's embrace the need to engage. Number two is to be proactive in pursuing connections. And here's where I want to try to flesh things out. None of this that I'm going to say is rocket science. Some of it is pretty practical. I think some of it uh, may be options for some of you who are struggling. Ecclesiastes 4 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And I can tell you some of the greatest experiences of my life have been when there have been others there to lift me up. I know some of you are struggling because you've said, but pastor, I've tried to be, I've tried to get more connected. I've I've reached out to you. I've filled out your silly form to be part of a shepherd group and you don't have one for me right now. There's not one in my area or, or whatever it happens to be. And you know, just because you're in this room doesn't mean you're connected. And I know plenty of people who walk in to church and then walk out of church and don't feel any more connected because of all the things that we've already talked about how disconnected we are in our community today but it is challenging it is challenging it's challenging for you introverts to think that I don't know this guy sitting next to me down the row I'm just going to say hi you can do that you can And I encourage you to do it. If there's someone sitting around you that you do not recognize, okay, don't shake their hand. Give them a fist bump and say, how long have you been coming to RBC? Tell me a little bit about you. 
Bruce Campbell, our executive pastor, started a regular practice, and it's actually rather convicting. On Sundays, many Sundays, most Sundays, he and his wife will find someone that they don't recognize near, sitting near them in church and say, hey, you know, my name's Bruce, and Diana, this is Diana, da-da-da-da-da. Tell me a little about you. Okay, do you guys want to go out to lunch today? Every time they get a yes. Every time. I'm like, oh, wow. That's really convicting. That's really convicting. You know, I'm in a shepherd group. I have been. Our shepherd group isn't meeting right now. Every single couple in our group moved to like a different location just in town. We are so mobile and we are so, we we move about in so many ways. So I guess my first rec... My first encouragement is to come back to church if you can. You know, there are 854 seats in this room. In the first service, we generally have 320 people, way less than half. Got a lot of room. In the second service, although to many of you it looks pretty full, you you recognize that out of 854 seats, we generally have 415 people in the second service pretty consistently. That's less than half. You know, I've heard somebody say, well, I, I, I want to come to church, but I feel really awkward. I feel like I've come to church, I've, I, I wear a mask, and people look at me like, what are you wearing a mask for? And I want to say, you know what? This is a no-judgment zone, right? If you want to come to church and wear a mask, I'm just so glad you're here. And if you come to church not wearing a mask and you feel free to not do that, please don't look at somebody that they're silly because they're wearing a mask. Because being together... And walking forward together is so important. And each one of us needs to struggle with what we're comfortable with. This is a no-judgment zone. Come back to church if you can. And I know some of you are struggling because you feel like you can't, and I get it. A lot of people online. You know, we have, had, we have a couple of shepherd groups. We have one in particular, it's, and they're doing great. They've been meeting online on a Zoom call for two, almost two years. They've never met each other live. And they're doing great. Is it the perfect community? Is it the ideal? No. But it's working. And I'm happy to get more Zoom groups off the ground if you feel like that's what you need in order to be able to connect. Start another group. You know, many of, many of our people go, they, they, they want to connect. And they say, I, I, I've, I've asked to be in a shepherd group, but we don't have one. And my response, what we're doing more and more is we're starting new groups. So we have, I had a couple that I know pretty well. They live in Oakton and they said, there's not a group here that, that really works for us. Can, can we start a group? I'm like, sure. So on the Thursday update, I set out a, sent out, put in a note, anybody in the Oakton area interested in being in a shepherd group, let me know. I got seven responses and every single response was different than every other response in their life demographic. Every single one. Now, most of our groups have some level of demographic synergy, right? Young parents or whatever it happens to be. And I thought, okay, we're going to see how this goes. We had a couple who are in their 80s with grown grandchildren. We have a couple in their 60s with small grandchildren. We have a couple who has high school students and a couple who has elementary students and a single woman. And I'm like, this is not going to work. I mean, everybody likes the idea of multi-generational until you look around the room and you don't see anybody that's like you. And then you're like, well, maybe not. So we gathered the ones who were willing, who said, yeah, we're up for it. And we had, we, had, we had some snacks together and we talked about shepherd group and they looked around the room and every single one of them was not like anybody else that was there and they just looked back at me and they said, this is great, this is the body of Christ. Let's go. 
And I'm like, yes. And if you live in an area where you go, ah, there's nothing, we're, we're, we're not getting connected here, I'm happy to try to start a group in your area. You say, well, who's going to lead it? I don't know. God's going to figure that out. If we can gather you together, God's going to bring a leader into that environment and God's going to work it out. Now, for many of you who struggle again with meeting, I have one final suggestion. If you go to Home Depot this afternoon for 150 bucks, you can buy a propane-fueled heater for your back patio. And I want to challenge you that meeting over the next couple months on your back patio is better than not meeting at all. And better than not meeting at all. And you know, for 300 bucks, you can buy two. And that'd be nice and toasty, nice and toasty patio. Because being together is critical to the body of Christ. And to those who you, of you who are hurt and wounded in the body of Christ, the fact that you're listening to me today, either here or online, means that there's still hope. And I want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up meeting together because you've been in meetings together where you've been hurt. That's been universal throughout the history of the church. Is it hard? Yes, I get it. But please be willing. There's no such thing as a safe risk, but there is a such thing as a wise risk to get connected again. Let us help you. Find a way to do that that helps you move forward in what it means to be connected in the body of Christ because you need it. In order to do the things that we need to do, because our theology tells us that gathering together makes us more like Christ, that gathering together, it means you belong. Gathering together, God decides where you fit and you are critical. You need us and we need you. It's a mandate of scripture. There's a lot of hindrances to be sure. Our perceptions of community, our lifestyle expectations, enormous challenges like COVID-19, the wounds in the church, but we need to embrace the reality that engaging is critical. And then whatever it means for us, take proactive steps to be connected for the good of the body and for our own good. And if you're a person with us today, again, here online, and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you've never said, I want to be a part of this family, but I don't even know what the follower of Jesus means. Well, I have to tell you today that your first priority in relational realities is to get right with God, to, rec to recognize that you're a, a sinner who needs a savior and that Jesus is that one. And that he wants to know you and you to know him. And that can happen today. I think it's fitting as we go to prayer that today we take communion because that's what the first century church did when they were together. They did it a lot. And it's a declaration of our allegiance to Christ, but it's also a declaration of our participation in the body. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for 
the truth of your scriptures. Thank you for the example. Thank you as we study the first century when your word was written, what life was like for them so that we can understand a little bit more clearly why we are in such a difficult spot sometimes to connect in the body of Christ. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we walk out here today, as we seek to live this new life as a follower of Jesus Christ, that as we seek to have all things new and living as a child of God, that we would recognize one of the critical elements is that we would gather in a variety of contexts, in a variety of settings, in a variety of sizes, and that we, we matter. We thank you, Lord, we pray in your name, amen. What I want to do now is I will just want to ask you for a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. And as you consider what we've talked about today, as you consider communion, as you consider your personal declaration of your allegiance to Christ, that if you need to do business with God, that you would, if you need to ponder and pray through the reality of the issue of connectedness in your life, that you would do that. And in about a minute or two, I will lead us through the taking of the elements as we celebrate what Jesus did for us as a body together. So go ahead and talk to God for a moment. Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this bread is my body which has been broken for you Lord Jesus we are grateful that you chose to come and live a sinless life and to die a sinner's death in our place so that we might have an eternal relationship with the living God if we would only accept it as our personal payment for sin. Thank you for opening the way. We love you, Lord. Let's participate in the bread together. In the same manner, took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the remission of sins and Lord Jesus the Bible says that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins and we are so grateful that you have given your blood for us Lord God let's participate in the cup together Lord Jesus thank you Thank you for this time together, and I pray that as we sing our final song and as we go out into the day, that we would consider these things.
we would live in gratefulness for all that you've done. And God, that we would walk faithfully with you to your glory. And that we would struggle with what it means to live in biblical community. And the challenges of our current context for your glory, we pray in your name. Amen.